Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is Robert Houck, MD of the amazing Langham Hotel in Shanghai. Coming up on today's show... Robert comes up with the best description of dealing with a crisis that we've ever heard. It's better to make it short and very, very painful instead of painful and long. Phil talks about beds. Uh, You shouldn't point the foot of your bed at the door. And Robert reveals that luxury comes in mysterious forms. But my most exclusive offering I have is the garbage pot. All that and so much more as Robert talks us through his story and journey to date, along with some superb content on creating experiences and leadership in a crisis. Don't forget to give us a like and a share across your favourite social channels. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next edition of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we once again cross land and sea as we welcome our first ever guest, actually, from uh, who's based in China. Having worked his way across a few of the world's continents, in fact, and indeed some of hospitality's most recognisable brands, including Kempinski, Fairmont, Shangri-La, Mandarin Oriental, Raffles, to name a few, he now finds himself at the helm in the quite fabulous Langham in Shanghai as MD. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show Robert Houck. Hi, Phil. It's a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Uh, first of all, did I get the pronunciation of your surname correct? Yeah, it could be almost German. That's very good. Oh, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody once said to me about it, there's something about the Scottish accent that lends itself well to doing other accents, which doesn't work the other way around. It's very difficult to do a Scottish accent, I think. I think you have this name also in Scotland. You know, I was surprised at one stage I learned this. Right. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's got a little bit of a, a Scottish lilt to it. So, But anyway, we're not going to uh, spend 45 minutes talking about your surname, so that's fine. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> How's things in China at the moment? Well, China is you know, an exciting place to be, and yeah. you know, especially during the last few months in the crisis. At the moment, it feels like if you're in the center of the world, you know, because I used to work here before many, many years ago, you know? Right. I had moved around the world, but the fascinating thing here in China at the moment, in Shanghai, I don't think there's a, a city which moves faster at the moment than Shanghai in terms of business. Really? You know, if, if I wouldn't work here, I would be a little bit frightened. Right. <laughs> because it can be quite intimidating, you know, how fast everything has changed you know, in terms of business, how you get your bookings. But, you know, when you're here on, on the ground, at the moment, everything is possible. And you've got an incredible entrepreneurial spirit here, right. which, you know, probably before the crisis, you know, people were not as flexible. But now everything is possible in terms of corporations or business-wise, you know. Right. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, actually, because I think we're, we're recording this on the 28th of September. I'm based in the UK, and we've just in the last week had some extra regulations put into that doesn't exactly help hospitality businesses but i think that's probably a a reasonable reflection of the business markets generally around the world that things are struggling so it's really interesting to hear that actually that you guys are kind of operating at, at full tilt if not nearly full tilt well actually you know we run extremely high occupancy we had uh, in august 90 percent paid occupancy well so September is a, a little bit lower, but still great business. Yeah. So yeah, we're actually very fortunate to be here. But of course, we went through a very difficult time as well at the beginning of the year. Yeah, well, you I, you guys had the, the visual on it before anybody else, of course, because it, uh, for all intents and purposes, originated in that part of the world. Yeah, of course. Mm. It was not very pleasant, but you know, for, for me, it was interesting because you know, last year I worked in Sri Lanka. And as you probably know, we had the Sunday Easter attacks on the 21st of April in Sri Lanka last year. Yeah. So that experience came in quite handy to deal with another crisis. Yeah. And, you know, when I arrived here, my friends said, well, wherever you go, wherever you go to, you go, there's always something happening. It must be you. And I'm like, my God, you know, it's kind of true. But yeah. it's actually, <laughs> it turned out quite positive, you know, in terms of, much as it can be positive in a crisis like this, you know? Yeah. But it can also be a little bit of inspiration for other people because, you know, the measurements which were taken by the government were quite harsh. 
it was quite daunting, but it's almost like when you go to the dentist, you know, when you have a toothache, it's better to make it short and very, very painful instead of painful and long, you know? Very good. Yeah, that's actually a really great way of summing it up. I think at the moment uh, in this part of the world, it's, a, it's quite long and painful. Uh, yeah, yeah. There was no quick ejection of the tooth here. But you always have to be ready, you know, for other cases. So yeah. you know, this could fall, stand or fall any time. So you always have to be ready. Yeah, and that's actually a really good point. I mean, I, I, I'm always amazed, and maybe I shouldn't be so amazed, but in actual fact, you know, at the end of the day, governments will do what governments do. How quickly people have responded to that, and obviously some people are, are very outwardly open against what's going on in this part of the world. But a lot of people have just kind of gone, well, okay, if that's what it is, then we've just got to figure that out and, and navigate around it. Uh, exactly. Great stuff. Well, I'll leave that there because I don't want to. I don't want that to dominate our discussion uh, today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so let's go all the way back to the beginning of your career. Now, when I was doing my research on you, it looks, for all intents and purposes, that you may have started your career in the UK. Uh, well, one of the in trainings, you know, because I started out as a very, how can you put this, a very traditional hotelier. Okay. And you know, just to cut the long story short, when I finished school, I went to the army. And after the army, I you know, decided to study law. And, uh, you know, half of my class was studying law. Right. So after a few months or one or two semesters, I thought, my God, you know, if I study law, I will always be stuck in Germany. And, you know, I like to travel. I like hospitality. So then, uh, you know, I left law and then I, I started I decided to do an apprenticeship, you know, and I wanted to see really hospitality from the bottom. And then I did an apprenticeship as a, as a chef right. and did this relatively fast. And then I worked my way up and uh, I never had any intentions to stay a chef, you know, to be a chef. It's a great profession, but for me, it was the base, you know, so it was very important, you know, I start from the bottom. So when you move up, you're able to, you know, to talk to people and you can relate to people. And, you know, to do an apprenticeship is very different than just doing an in-training for a few months. And then I moved my way up. I went to hotel school and then moved around the world. And this is my 14th country, actually. Yeah, you've done... Well, which continents have you actually had a, had a job been, in? I never worked in Africa, never worked in Australia. But, you know, I went to... Caribbean or Bermuda is almost Caribbean. I worked in Portugal, in Madeira, famous Reeds Hotel. In the UK, your question, you know, I did an in-training at the Ligon Arms, yep. which at one stage was a Savoy Hotel. And then I, I worked for Kempinski, I you know, went to South America, uh, went to Bermuda, and then from Bermuda, 19 years ago, I went to Shanghai, China, actually, first time here in Asia. And then from here, I moved to many Asian countries. But also, at, you know, at one stage, I moved out of hospitality, which gives me a, quite a unique background, actually. Okay, yeah. Which, sorry, where, which, uh, which sector did you move into? Well, you know, my background, I always liked sport. And uh, when I was GM at, at Ruffles, it was 2010 in Cambodia, I did a lot of triathlons. So I have done 43 marathons and ultra marathons right and then i also did uh, a lot of running races a lot of uh, um, triathlon and i went to thailand for training for a few few days and this was a facility in phuket and you know it was half finished and it was like wow just amazing you know it's like anything you could imagine from a mind center from mind training to sport facilities and then the owner, you know, he knew that I'm a hotelier, have a sport background, a kind of a marketing background also. So he asked me if I would work for him. So I said to him, Klaus, you know, I really appreciate that I'm not out of my mind. You know, you will never, ever make money here. You just <laughs> fulfilled your dream. And then he's like, well, let's talk, you know. And then a week later, he flew out to Cambodia. And he said, well, what about I make you an offer you cannot resist? <laughs> 
So well, <laughs> at the end, I couldn't resist. And I was with Ruffles, which I really enjoyed, you know, because we were extremely successful. And Ruffles for me was always one of my dreams as a, you know, during the childhood. Yeah. So I did this and I, I became president of Tanya Pura, which was 2011. And that time was quite unique. You know, this is health related, body, mind, and soul. So we had a mind center, international school. We had triathlon academy, aquatic academy, a clinic for anti-aging, stem cell treatment. So this was something very, very new, actually. Mm. And, you know, I was president of the company, which sounds super fancy, but I was the same, you know, also the guy who looked after marketing, but also made sure the toilets are clean, you know? Right. So, you know, this gave me a sense of entrepreneurship, which, you know, you would never, you would never get at a corporate office in, in a normal hotel company. Yeah. That's an interesting that, that, that somebody, I suppose, took a bit of a, a, a punt on you into such a role. But then I suppose you, you, know, you were coming at it from a, a, a pragmatic hotel entrepreneurial perspective. Yeah, exactly. So you know, I had this background as, as a hotelier and with Raffles, I was extremely successful, not just in terms of you know, budget-wise, but also in terms of guest satisfaction, employee satisfaction. And then of course, uh, I trained about 25 hours per week. It also helped you know, for the job. <laughs> yeah. So, and I really enjoyed this because this was something which I would have never learned in a, in a normal hotel or hospitality environment because we also tried to sell the concept. So, you, you know, you also intended, attended investor conferences and we met people which as a hotelier you wouldn't work with, you know, because it doesn't matter which company you work for as a hotelier, you always put more hours in than I would call it the normal people. Yeah. But, you know, once you deal with teachers and headmasters and they work seven hours, they think they're close to a collapse. And <laughs> so it's, you know, a little bit difficult to relate, but it gives you really a sense of how to deal with different backgrounds also, you know. Yeah. And, and the fascinating thing is, you know, when you look at hospitality, especially the last few years, at the end of the day, you know, a hotel, what do you sell? You sell beds, you sell beverage, you sell food. And there's always a certain ceiling, what type of rate you can achieve. And of course, you know, there, you know, there are always exceptions, but people pay any price practically for health and beauty. And I would call this programming. And this programming, if you could implement this or parts of it also in a hotel, you have a, you know, a unique revenue stream, which other hotels don't have. But that's it, almost a little bit of an art, you know, to to decide what to implement and what not to implement. Mm. Yeah. So you were there for how long? Almost, almost three years. And because uh, at that stage, uh, you know, we were working on, uh, on an equity part, but at the end it didn't quite happen. <laughs> right. And then, uh, you know, interesting thing, I tried to move back into the normal hospitality business. And then, you know, once you have a title, and you work for different companies, <clears throat> sometimes the traditional hoteliers that do not understand this. So I had quite a few difficulties to get back into just the mainstream hospitality. Right. And, you know, it took me a while, but afterwards I, I got back. And if you look at now with this crisis, you know, many people fall on hardship. And I, you know, I just talked with a friend actually in the UK. She used to work with me on a, on a project. And a couple of years ago, she was laid off, you know, not too long ago, two years ago. Mm. And then she was kind of labeled, you know, it's like, wow, how can you get laid off, you know? Yeah. But it was not her fault. And I spoke with her like three weeks ago and she said, you know, now I don't have this stigma anymore because there are thousands and thousands of people laid off. Yeah. So, you know, the message actually is there's nothing wrong, you know, it can happen to people. You just have to stay positive, you know, as positive as you can be. Yeah, well, this, actually, we, um, we've had a couple of conversations before. We've, we've turned the microphone on, as it were. And it's one of the, my overriding takeaways from you is that you definitely give off an awful lot of positivity, almost like anything is possible. Yeah, this comes a little bit from my background because 
it's not my first crisis. You know, I worked in places which are, you know, I could write a few books about this. Yeah, well, and, do please do. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, especially now, you know, for us here, it's easier. It's easier to talk here because our business is good. But you know, when you talk with some of the colleagues who lost their job, it can be really, you know, it can be heavy on the mind. Yeah, and so you have to stay positive it will get better but it will take some time you know and um, people employees people friends they need a source for inspiration and that's what i quite enjoy actually yeah because our job is about coaching you know i see this more as a coach or a mentor yeah but also you know a crisis is called a crisis for a reason so you know in crises you have to show firm leadership yeah. It's a little bit like when you're in the army, you know, when you're in a battle. In a battle, actually, there's not much time to discuss, you know. You just have to follow directions and you discuss this either before or after. And, you know, it's kind of human nature when people feel lost, they look for strong leadership. Yeah. And if you have strong leadership, you know, and it's fair, strong leadership, you can bring people through a lot of hardship yeah i think that's a, a really excellent point actually and that's um you, again you could put that onto kind of any government and the way that they've they've dealt with things in in this time of crisis that we're all in globally some have done well some have done not so well and i think the the clarity of leadership and the message that's getting out is actually so important and you can see then how that really translates into to your just specific businesses as well like your own yeah exactly because when you take decisions you know you have to anticipate the future a little bit in this crisis so you know not everyone will understand this and then sometimes you get criticized but people then later they realize wow actually you know we still have our job now we are back into making money and then they start to appreciate, you know, very often they can't appreciate the decisions right at the point when you take these decisions. But this comes really, you know, this comes also with experience. And, you know, you have to have the experience from a crisis in a leadership position. Otherwise, you know, it can be difficult. Yeah. I think that's, that's also a really key point is that you experience counts for an awful lot. And especially if you are experienced in crisis, then, you know, when the next one comes along, which is inevitable because, uh, you know, if it's not a, a, a something like we're going through at the moment, then perhaps it's a, a an economic crisis because that's usually cyclical. You know, there's always, I don't suppose you plan for it, but you've got to be ready for it. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, and that's where the sport background comes in handy because, in, you know, in sport is it's the same if you do competitive sport and mine was actually cycling and running yeah you have to plan your training ahead you have to be aware that it will be painful and you have to go through this pain barrier practically yeah but of course you know sometimes you get the, the situation which we are faced now you know it's easy to talk when you're in a better position than you know many other people yeah but you know there's sometimes there's not much you can do so just you know look after yourself look after your mental health your physical health and at one stage it will pass, you know, but it's kind of a survival mode for many. Yeah, no, no doubt about that uh, at all. Yeah. So talk to me about your, your current property and a little bit more about that. And because you, you've not been there a year yet, I think you joined just at the right time. <laughs> well, I just joined on the 6th of January and then uh, on the 20th or 24th, the spring broke out. It's COVID-19. And then, uh, you know, everything got shut down. And my friends said, my God, again, you go where a crisis it follows you. Yeah. And then, you know, the funny thing is because I've been in Asia for 19 years, you know. And then I was around the 25th, you know. And suddenly it just came to my mind. It was like, I need the feng shui master. Yeah. Because in my past, I used to work a lot with the feng shui master, but not in the last maybe eight years you know right i don't know why it came to my mind and then you know i tried to to find this functional master because he's based in malaysia and he's sponsored by malaysian ty tycoons because 
he went there many, many years ago and the business went through the roof. So they kept him there in Malaysia. So he was actually on holidays, you know, visiting family in the south of China. And, you know, I, I couldn't afford him because it's very expensive, but I knew him over the years. So, you know, he does me these favors. And then I brought him in and I actually, I followed to the dot actually what he told me. And this also gave me a lot of mental stability. It sounds crazy to probably Westerners or people who are not exposed to feng shui. Mm. But he, he predicted many things, you know. All right. Yeah. But well, for this, you have to understand a little bit the Asian culture, you know. Otherwise, it, it sounds uh, it sounds weird, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've had uh, some input on that myself, actually, over the years. Somebody once told me that uh, you shouldn't point uh, the foot of your bed at the door or something like that, that you, you, should ne- you should never have it aligned to the door like that. You should always have it away. That's a, that was a feng shui thing, but I can't remember why or what the purpose was for that. But I, I have since always put my bed in a position that was not pointing at the door. Yeah, many things actually, you know, many physical things like your office arrangement or house arrangement are actually common sense. Also for us Westerners, you know, yeah. but we're just not aware of it. It has to do a lot with the flow of energy, you know, to, to make it more positive. Yeah. Well, we could all do with a bit of that right yeah, now. Yeah. I think the, the flow of positive <laughs> energy is, um, you know, I think, as you say, it's, it's, it's always easier to, to say when you're in a position that's right. from the outside looking in a little bit better than, than other people's. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, just coming back to the hotel, your question, because I deviated a little bit. So this October actually has been open for 10 years. And uh, this crisis actually for us is quite beneficial. You know? I give you a good example. In, in August, we achieved the highest occupancy of our comp set, which was a, a 89% paid occupancy, right? 91% occupancy. So last year, the same months, in terms of compset, we were number five out of five. This August, we were number one out of five. Right. The same hotel, you know, the same team. It's just with a little bit more positive energy and with a little bit more speed and aggressiveness. We could move this around, you know, to move from the fifth position to the uh, to number one position. Yeah. So, you know, this was a good example also for the staff to to show them that anything is possible as long as you stay positive. And that's what, you know, for us, this crisis has been quite beneficial. No, it's like, you know, when you look at the big hotel companies like Accor, Hilton, Marriott, IHG, you know, obviously their benefit is the massive sales engine behind and the loyalty program. But now in this crisis, actually, it became less important. Yeah. So even for a smaller operator or independent hotels, you can do extremely well. You just have to concentrate on your strengths. So for me, what I try to you know tell my colleagues, it's always the eighty twenty rule. You know, put eighty percent of your energy in your strengths, bring your your weakness up to an acceptable level, but don't waste too much energy on your weakness. Yeah. And with that, actually, we have been extremely successful and we put the hotel back onto the map, especially you know, in terms of uh, recognition from the local market. We have some, you know, we did some incredible fashion shows. Uh, uh, you work together with car companies, designers, painters. And at the moment, anything is possible here in Shanghai because everyone is so, has such a sense of entrepreneurship. Yeah. And, I can yeah. see on your uh, epitaph this phrase "anything is possible" is is going with you everywhere, because it 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 does feel like actually to achieve in somewhere that's possibly not been achieving as well as it it, it could have been that actually it is it's just about breaking mindset. It's about you know turning uh, uh, I suppose uh, an outlook of uh, oh I'm not sure we can do that oh I don't know if that's possible to saying of course it's possible. We just yeah, exactly. It's like what focus. I said before, like sport, you know, if you're a cyclist or a runner, at the end, you know, you win against yourself or your opponents, it's in your head. Yeah. And, you know, you have to go through a certain uh, pain barrier and of course you have to put the training in, but 
what I always liked in my career is this kind of underdog situation. And, you know, this is like, if you look at Liverpool, you know, if yeah. you look at football, you know, a year ago, Bayern Munich, very often, you know, you have these underdog situation where some of the clubs, they spend more money or have more money. But at the end, you win this with an incredible coach and with a certain mentality. Yeah. And I, I find this quite enjoyable, enjoyable. And for me, that's hospitality because hospitality is like showmanship, you know? And yeah. we have to sell a certain Im image. And sometimes it's not about the chandelier, you know? It's not about the, the limousine you have or the carpet because rich people, you know, especially you see this here, they have better cars, they have, you know, bigger houses, they have more employees than we have at home probably so what do you give them what's ultra luxury for them and if you can find this for your own property hotel company then you've got a bit of a winning formula and these are practically experiences what i mentioned before yeah I, I, absolutely I, well that's the thing right i mean it, it's a very good point i'd never even really considered that if you're looking to deliver an ultra luxury product to the people who can generally afford that you know, are the 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 super wealthy who can get anything they kind of want whenever they want it. How do you create these experiences for people that are exceptional and away from their kind of normal life? Yeah, actually I learned this a lot the hard way. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I give you a very good example, you know? Yeah. 2016, I worked in the Maldives, you know, I don't give you the name, but you know, this was after a $42 million renovation. Of a, of a resort and I came in just before the opening, you know, and when I went there for the interview, I said, when are you going to open? And it's like, in a month's time, I said, like, forget wow. about it, you know, that you will never be ready. And I like, no, no, we will be ready. So anyway, you know, I joined the resort and so I had to move the opening date. And then, you know, we had to open just before Christmas on the 19th or 20th of December. And nothing was ready. You know, the restaurants were not ready. The lights were not ready. Right. And then, uh, you know, this resort is quite famous. And we had a lot of repeaters. And these repeaters are super, duper influential families from Germany, Switzerland, Austria, and the UK. Yeah. And then I arrived there. And, you know, these people, obviously, you know, some of them for two weeks, they paid 350,000 euros. So, wow. of course, they have all the right to complain, you know. And then, you know, it's like, my God, you know. So, you know, I had to compensate for certain shortcomings. And then it's like, what can I give them, you know? And then most of them, they have better yachts and all these things. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, one day the chef is like, oh, probably run out of fresh fish. And I'm like, what do you mean run out of fresh fish? There's water all around us. <laughs> oh, now no, the, yeah, the fish comes filleted from Mali. And it's like, come on. So again, you know, I took some of my local boys on the garbage boat, you know. This is literally the, the garbage boat where we used to feed the, you know, the sharks with the wet garbage every afternoon. Right. So I went out there and I came back with a full box of fish with a hand line, you know. Yeah. Walk through the restaurant, you know, and then go to the VIP table. They were all VIPs. And it's like, madam, I got you fresh fish for you now for every day. And money can't buy this you know yeah so and suddenly you created this bonding with these people and then you know they learned that i like fishing you know yeah and then if you know about maldives you got this uh, sustainable tuna fishing with the lines actually and i wanted to see this so you know one of my local boys arranged this so i could go with the professional fisherman you know yeah and then some of these families you know they heard about this and like oh but can can we come with you I said, no, no, this is only for me because we don't have insurance and, you know, this can be dangerous. Mm. They were like, oh, no, we just came from game hunting in Africa and blah, blah, blah. So I said, no, 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 no. So, you know, they, they were after me for two days and I said, okay, he come with me. So anyway, we took them out and this is like 45 minutes. We call one and a half tons of Bonito. Wow. And, you know, the, the small tuna and they couldn't do this you could not do this by you can't buy tickets yeah and you know this is an experience where you know 
we took photos there and for them it was like on the same level as game hunting in Africa. And uh, sometimes you just have to find these little things, you know. And yeah. every, you know, every Wednesday I had this GM cocktail, you know, on the beach, uh, we gave champagne. So there was this Russian billionaire, oligarch, whatever he called him, you know. And then he was, you know, standing there a little bit lonely. So I talked to him and you know, we talked about fishing and he said, oh, I like fishing. I said, ah, oh, me too. And he said, oh, I would like to go fishing, but nobody of the guests wants to come. And then, and then he said, can I come to see you? And I said, no, no, Anton. I said, I'm sorry, no insurance. And then he said, I bring a bottle of wine. I said, no, Anton, you know, I give you a, a deal for the, for the small yacht we have. And then he said, I bring two bottles of wine. So I said, okay, Anton, tomorrow, five o'clock at the supply jetty, make sure you're there. So I took him out and I knew he's one of these rich Russians. And then we come back and he's like, oh, I've been coming to the Maldives for 14 years now. I speak a little bit the language. I have seen 34 islands and I found my island. And I said, Anton, and you always remember you found your island on the garbage boat. So <laughs> whenever I talk to journalists, you know, I talked about this, you know, yeah. and every year, except of this year, you know, you have the ITV. And I remember as a company, we had the press conference and then, you know, a CEO spoke and one of the GMs of the other uh, resorts we have in Mauritius talked and I could see that people got bored. And just before us was a very famous company <laughs> and they just bought the third Sunseek for a million and a half dollars, you know. Right. And our guest boat cost $24,000. So I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to tell these people, you know? Yeah. And then I said, oh, ladies and gentlemen, I will not tell you about the hotel. And I said, unfortunately, I don't have a, a third sun seeker, but my most exclusive offering I have is the garbage boat. And suddenly I got all the attention. <laughs> and this became kind of some very unique because they're all connected, you know, they go home and then when they go to London or Zurich or Munich, they all talk. And then they all talked about this garbage boat. Yeah. So the message is sometimes it doesn't need to be the expensive thing. Just give them something which they can't buy, you know. And all that's right. for me ultra luxury. I think that's absolutely on the head as to actually, I, I, I've uh, been talking about this for quite a long time about the fact that, you know, you, you can have the most beautiful building in the world, but without uh, a, a good experience to go along with it, then it's it's kind of worth nothing. And the people play a massive part in that generation of experience. Like you know, in your situation there, you've you've created something out of nothing. You know, and for all intents and purposes, okay, you've had to kind of skirt around health and safety with you know no insurance, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But at the end of the day, these people remember that forever. Of course, these are uh, unique experiences, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually got a, a, a story about fishing in the Maldives myself. I'd, I honeymooned in the Maldives. It was one of the most amazing trips that uh, I've ever had in my life. We did a little bit of nothing and a little bit of something just kind of around the other islands, saw some local culture and all of that sort of thing. But the, one of the experiences that the resort was, um, was selling, if you like, was a, a sunset fishing trip. And so we, neither of us had ever been fishing before in any form. And the one thing they said was, we can pretty much guarantee that you'll catch a fish. And we were on the sunset fishing trip with uh, young families, other couples, and everybody caught a fish except me. <laughs> can happen, can happen. Really don't know. I mean, I, 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 there were six-year-old children who were pulling fish out of the water, and I couldn't catch a fish for love nor money. But anyway, I think that yeah, was a sign. Sometimes you for need me. a little bit of luck, you know. But many of the, you know, all of the resorts do these, you know, sunset fishing trips, a little bit of a champagne. Yeah. But the ones I did, this is a little bit hardcore, you know. Oh, for sure. Then, yeah. Now, for these families, and very often it's you know this photo opportunity also, because. You know, they want to go home and they have their houses in Ibiza or in Mykonos and they want to show off with a unique experience, you know, which yeah. money can't buy. And sometimes it's really the simple things, you know, but yeah. it takes a little bit of creativity. <laughs> Absolutely. And to be bold, well, you know. But also, you know, you're, you talked earlier on about playing to your strengths. 
you know, and uh, you clearly have a strength for being able to uh, identify opportunity, you know, or, or if it, if it's not immediately identified to you, then circumstances dictate that the, something evolves into you identifying an opportunity. And I, actually the point about focusing on strengths, I think is massively important. I think a lot of times in, in business books and things like that, they talk, people talk about increasing your weaknesses, but actually it's, it's the, if you're looking to turn around something or make a difference in something, it's generally the path of least resistance that gets you there. And that's about exactly what you said about playing to strengths because people are generally more energized to what they do well than the stuff that they don't. And I think in, in leadership, that's a massively important thing. Yeah, exactly. And I, I always say to my colleagues, there's nothing wrong to, be, to have a weakness yeah? and to admit you have a weakness. But you know, if you spend too much energy or time on your weakness, it just becomes mediocrity. And yep. you know, every every human being, we have even sometimes we don't know, but we always have some kind of strengths. And if you put eighty percent of your energy in these strengths, you will excel. You know, yep. it's just a question of getting to know yourself better and find this out what it actually is. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that fishing is a weakness, so I have not okay. practiced that. <laughs> Yeah, I know that's a strength. I can I can drink champagne. That's that's definitely a strength. No, that's great. So, what's uh, what's the kind of the the next phase looking like for you in Shanghai at the moment? Is 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 there an upward trend in business? Yeah, yeah. This is you know, September is a little bit more quiet, but still great business. Yeah. So October will be great, and as I said before, you know what excites me and that's what I try to do with my colleagues you know even if you have a hotel which has been around for a few years in crisis is you have to work very fast you know and you have to anticipate things yeah and you have to be the first one you know you know usually people don't talk about the second or third and and now this feels like for me this is a little bit like the wild west because there's so many opportunities and people are so incredibly flexible at the moment and I think this wouldn't have happened without the crisis. Yeah. So, you know, this could be also, you know, kind of a hope for other countries which are not in the same situation now because you have to go through this hardship, but it will come out of it and you can actually excel. But of course, you know, in certain circumstances, also a question of survival, you know, in terms of uh, as a company also. Mm, yeah. No, absolutely. Well, it remains to be seen, right? I mean, we're, we're, we kind of just wait every day and see what's, what's next and you, you get, keep your head down and crack on and do the best you can. Yeah, well, I find this, you know, when you go on LinkedIn, sometimes you see people, I forgot the name, but, you know, they write on LinkedIn, you know, if you need any help, I'm here to help. If I can connect, you know, so wow. This, and these are quite some big potatoes in hospitality. Yeah. And I found this very uh, encouraging and, you know, because in a crisis, what can you do to stay positive and try to help each other? Absolutely. I think yeah. that the, the, the key thing there is, is try to help each other. I think there's been so much positivity around that. And, if, you know, there's a lot of people out there who need a, a leg up. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. And that can come in any form and many forms. So yeah. here, you know, we have many exciting things coming up now in October, which I can't reveal at the moment, but, you know, we're going to work together with some artists, which like top artists in China. And usually we wouldn't have the budget or, you know, we, you know, the money just to, to hire them, but it's all connections, you know? Mm. So, and that's the positive thing in this crisis. You know, someone likes you and you got the chemistry, they recommend you to another person. And then you, you know, they see you do something different. And at the end of the day, it's about how much newsworthy things you can create. Because if you create hospitality, the higher the desire for a product is, the more your product will be in demand, and the more the higher price you can ask for. Actually, absolutely. You've travelled a lot in your career so far. It was that a conscious decision that you made or was it, did it, did it just kind of happen to you? 
you know, sometimes it happened, but I always like to travel. Yeah. And you know, to travel on holidays or to work somewhere, it's totally different. And of course, you know, it has advantages and disadvantages. You know, you have to make new friends, you have to adjust again. But for me, that that's a kind of excitement. It's not for everyone. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed this. You know? And as you said before, you know, when I take on projects, I have to see the opportunities. It's kind of again this underdog situation. So very often I see opportunities where other people don't see an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then to turn this around, it gives you a lot of work satisfaction. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. But and also, I think you're a lot of people get pigeonholed in their career as to you know you're a you're a city center general manager or you're a resort general manager. You know, you don't get a lot of crossover all of the time, but you're you definitely fly in the face of that because you've you've seen resorts, you've seen remote resorts. In, I mean, it doesn't get much more remote than the Maldives. And I always am fascinated by the logistics of how you make uh, a busy resort tick over. And, you know, and just these moments of challenge that must come up, you know, when the weather doesn't allow a boat of supplies to get in and, and things like that. These are the, the, the unique challenges of somewhere like that. And yeah, the fact this gives you, you know... That's the interesting part of our industry. Otherwise, you know, we could work in insurance or a bank. Yeah. But it's not for everyone. You know? And what I enjoy is actually you have to adapt very fast. The same as in the crisis. You know, when you go to a resort, you dress differently in the Maldives. You dress like a beach boy. You have to live the lifestyle. Yeah. You know, if you work, if you run hotels with a British heritage, you sell British heritage. You have to dress accordingly, you know? Yeah. And that, that's the enjoyable thing and what i said at the beginning it's a little bit like you know we're in show business because you know hospitality it's not the the greatest salaries you know probably will not become a millionaire but uh, there are other advantages to it you know yeah well i, I think the key point is, is that there's got to be something about this industry that really kind of speaks to you to for as you said earlier a lot of the time you're working not normal hours Perhaps the pay at certain levels is is not great, so it's got to be something more than than just that. You know, the the search of riches. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, once we have passed this crisis, it, it will change the industry. Yeah. It, you know, it will not change the industry completely, but it will change the industry in terms of, you know, the mental approach because. You have to be more flexible, you have to be more aggressive, and you have to work faster. And you can't take anything for granted anymore. And yeah. I think this will be you know, the essence which we will all take once we have gone through this, which we will take out of this crisis. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think it, you know, crisis has a habit of uniting people. I, perhaps it might separate initially, but in the end, it, it people do come together. And you can already see lots of... Um, of goodwill from from lots of different places and especially if, if the government are not chipping in with goodwill then you've got to go and make your own exactly exactly yeah um okay what would you say to to someone who was considering a career in hospitality <laughs> you know i thought about this question this is actually a very difficult question because it depends you know what your goal is what is your background you know if you're a young person is actually you can excel much faster than we could, you know, when we were younger, because it was very difficult to to go abroad. Yeah. And when you go abroad, you learn many things. But for a young person, I would not limit myself. You know, keep your doors open, because if you keep your doors open, you can go the traditional way in hospitality, or you can come from an academic standpoint. But whatever, whichever approach you have, you have many opportunities to move up or to move out of the industry also. And that's what I, I mentioned before. You know, A few years ago, it was like, you were hospitality, it was hospitality. And that's what also will change with this crisis because people will become much more flexible. So if you have a young person and you, know, you come, let's say, from a trade background, you know, you're a waiter or a chef, Mm. The sky is the limit, but you can also come from an academic standpoint. But both of these different uh, 
approaches, you can make it to the top. But it all depends on your energy and how positive and how aggressive you are. Aggressive in the terms of you like to learn. Yeah? So yeah. what I would recommend, don't look at the money at the beginning. Don't be afraid. Don't show any fear. And always, when you have a position, always learn already the next position. That's my key advice. You know? Yeah, and I, I suppose by the, the, the same token, I mean, if you are if you're pursuing something for money, then you, I, I don't think you're ultimately that's the driver that will get you to where you want to go. The money always comes, but if you make that your primary objective, then I think um, you're probably destined to to stay at a certain level. I always just say that people, you've got to be comfortable with learning because this is a, it's a hell of a journey, this. And, you know, we've talked about some scenarios in this conversation about where you've got to really think on your feet and you've got to think laterally. And um, it's not just about a specific way of doing things that's been the way of doing things for the last 20 years. Oh, you know, you have, have to shake the tree and you've got to take the learning when you can, absorb it and move forward. But also, the, the, I think the thing for me is, is that if you don't feel like you've got it right with the place that you're in, don't be afraid to to try something else. Um, yeah, that, it's also important, you know. Yeah. Over the last few months, I had to make, you know, not everything was uh, red roses. So I had to make certain changes also. Yeah. And, you know, the, the people I hired in key positions are not out of hospitality, actually, which, you know, was very difficult for our corporate office to understand because the people I, I hire are all entrepreneurs. Right. So, you know, came maybe from a PR agency, freestanding restaurants. So, of course, you know, they're not used to the bureaucracy of the traditional hospitality. So you have to keep their back free. But you know, we got something which we didn't have, and this was the sense of entrepreneurship. Mm. And but nobody else wanted to hire them, you know. Right. I have one lady. She said, you know, she had her own business, interesting business, and she's like, "Well, you're the first one who's talking to me because the others don't understand." I said, "Well, I see an opportunity." <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think the the thing we we do get as an industry really kind of bogged down on on CVs and pieces of paper, but actually, the a, a CV can look amazing but it doesn't necessarily mean that the the person is going to have the right skill or personality fit for the business yeah, and you exactly. can only really know that by talking to people i think yeah spot on and and culture is such a massive part of success um i think and you know and I, one of my previous guests jim knight is a public speaker on the very subject of culture and one of the things he always talks about how culture is an ever-evolving piece a business can't really work towards keeping a culture the same because as soon as one person comes out of that and moves on into something else, the culture has changed straight away. So you've yes. got to be completely you know, evolutionary when it comes to, to focusing on your culture. But, you know, that's the interesting part of, about hospitality. You know, once you're in hospitality for many years, sometimes it can get boring, to be honest. But what I enjoy the most is the psychological part of our business because, you know, and this is very similar if you're in the army or any group of people you lead, because how do you get people to do something which sometimes they don't want to do? How do you get the best out of people? And, you know, how do you apply limited resources which can change every single day? And, you know, you can have a perfect team. Again, it's like football. You move one person out and the whole chemistry doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And that, that's for me what I enjoy the most about hospitality. You know, how to connect people and put the right people into the right shoes at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Which is it's, not always easy. It's, no, no, <laughs> for sure. It's, um, well, there's so many different elements to that though as well, isn't there? About, you know, what at what stage you get somebody not just in their life, but what's going on in their personal life at the time. Uh, you know, do they have happiness at home? You know, when you take them, does something happen in their life while, while they're with you that affects the way that they think? It's just moving all the time. And I think that is the secret to, to great leadership is just one, being aware that that's the case. 
Uh, but to you know, not taking everything immediately on face value, there's usually a story that comes with it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But no, well, I I salute you and everything that you're you're doing there, and I wish you continued success out there. And it's been it's been a pleasure to connect with you actually, and and just get to know you a a, li- a little bit better. And I must shout out to to Mark Robson from from EQ who made the connection in the first place. Well, Mark, you know, we know each other for many, many years. So he yeah, knows Asia really well. He knows hospitality in Asia. And he yes. knows many people, you know. So he's it's always, Asia. you know, that's another thing in hospitality. Because if you look at my background, you know, I know people in North America and South America, Caribbean, Europe, Asia. And it's, you know, what's enjoyable is all these connections. Yeah. And then, you know, you try to help each other. Yeah. Absolutely. And well, to have all of these connections globally, you know, also does, it makes your life easier wherever you're going, because maybe you know some people who, who know something that can help you, et cetera, et cetera. And actually building your network is, is a massively important part of it as well. Yeah, exactly. Great stuff. Uh, so if people want to get a hold of you to learn a little bit more about what you're doing, what's the best method for them to, to get in contact? Well, the could could connect via LinkedIn. Yep. Yeah, I do a lot of work on, on LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, it's, you've kind of got to be on there now, haven't you? Uh, uh, it's a great tool also. Yeah, brilliant. Well, Robert, it's cool. been a pleasure to chat. I, um, As I say, I wish you continued success out there and I'll keep in touch because I'll be interested to see. You guys are ahead of us in the, in the curve. Uh, so it'll be yeah, interesting. It, it will come to you also, you know? Yeah. And just what you said before, in a difficult time, but now you can see this coming that people start to work together closer, you know? Yeah. And this will be, you know, if there's anything enjoyable from this crisis, this will actually be one part, one of these enjoyable parts that the best out will come out of people that they support each other and you concentrate on the basic again. It becomes more real. You know, I, I would use the word real and friendships and, and, uh, and connections become more and more important. Yeah. And I, I think just generally on a, on a really wide sense, I can feel here in the UK that the, the industry has never felt more united to, towards uh, giving it a voice at government level, but also, you know, just helping each other. There's this oh. friendly competition, I think, that's always existed, but that's now about just trying to help everybody navigate and get, get through to the other side. Yeah. It's spot on. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, that's a positive way to end. Thanks very much again, Robert. And um, yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed this. Very good. Yeah, and we'll talk again soon. Okay. Thank you. Good man. Cheers now. Bye bye. And there we have it. A superb chat with Robert. He's got so many golden nuggets from a fabulous career so far. We wish him every success through this next period. Don't forget, we launch a brand new episode each week. So hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share where you can. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.